Well, the topsy-turvy offseason for John Calipari and the Kentucky Wildcats continues, but after adding Trey Mitchell out of the transfer portal and getting Antonio Reeves back, is this team now a top 25 team heading into the next college basketball season? You are Locked On College Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey folks, welcome into the Locked On College Basketball Podcast, the only daily national college hoop show out there, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host, Andy Patton, and I'm thrilled to be joined today by Leaf Tulin, our regular contributor, as well as a contributor over on the Locked On NBA Big Board. And Leaf, we're going to talk about some guys who are killing it in Summer League. We're going to talk about three guys from Arkansas who all seem to be having a lot of success. But before we get into that, we're going to talk about Kentucky basketball. We've been talking a lot about Kentucky basketball on this podcast because it has been a really unique season or off season, I should say, for John Calipari and the Wildcats. Uh, we saw them at one point. This was a roster that had just seven players on it. Shortly after the NBA draft declaration deadline, when we knew we'd already knew Casey Wallace was out. Chris Livingston made it official. Oscar Shibwe was the big one making it official that he was leaving. And for a while, Kentucky had seven players on their roster. Five who were incoming freshmen, albeit very highly regarded incoming freshmen. Two who were seldom used sophomores. And it was starting to look kind of concerning. Like, is this going to be a roster that's even going to compete in the SEC? Is Calipari going to, you know, are they even going to make the NCAA tournament? Like, what's what's the situation here? And, and since that happened, we've learned that Antonio Reeves, grad transfer, who was unclear whether he was going to come back to school, is back. And he is going to stay at Kentucky, average 14 points per game last year. They also land a really valuable transfer in the portal in Trey Mitchell, one of the many players leaving West Virginia in the exodus following Bob Huggins's quote unquote resignation, I guess is the best way to put that right now. Uh, but I wanted to get your your kind of pulse on the situation, Leaf, as a team that is now added those two veteran guys. They added two more freshmen uh, in the class as well, have a more complete roster, uh, kind of just what your thoughts are on, on this overall roster and specifically how impactful having two veteran guys come in in Mitchell and Reeves. Well, yeah, Kentucky has talented freshmen. That's a mm -hmm. given every single year. It's about, about how they grow together. And often Kentucky's teams start all right. And by the end of the year, they're really impressive, mm -hmm. but the best years that I can think of, and it, even the year where they, they had an NBA roster basically, and they went 38 and one, you, that you can point to some upperclassmen or or at least sophomores um, that that help steer the ship. Um, so the best years more recently had guys that that took sophomore years that had, took junior years and they were balanced with a one and done and a few mm -hmm. older players. So I think this is really important. Uh, I mean, you, if you look at the transfers that they bring in or or that the in the one transfer in Mitchell that they bring in mm -hmm. and then the transfer from last year in mm -hmm. Reeves. Reeves was kind of the pulse of that team. Like I know Shebway was the best player. Cason Wallace was your star uh, freshman, mm -hmm. but that team was really good when Reeves was really good. And they were not very good when Reeves wasn't very good. Mm -hmm. And so I think this year's freshman class is more dynamic than last year's freshman class. And both those players that have this talent um, in, in Mitchell and Reeves to, mm -hmm. you know, kind of steady the ship and be, you know, swing players will be really good because they don't need to have the ball all the time to help win. Like some of the talented players like Edwards for mm -hmm. Kentucky is mm -hmm. going to be a top 10 pick in all likelihood. Yeah. And that's nothing new to them. 
but the, it's it's they've got guys that may make more sense to be complementary stars that are upperclassmen as opposed to like Oscar Shiba had to be the star as the mm-hmm. national reigning player of the year. And so I, I actually am optimistic about Kentucky, and I think the retaining of Reeves is huge because he spaces the floor. Mm-hmm. And Mitchell's a really good player. I know he's bounced around. He maybe hasn't been mm-hmm. as impressive as maybe you may have thought mm-hmm. coming in, but I, I, I'm I'm anticipating a pretty good Kentucky team. I'm, I'm, I'll be honest, I don't think Calipari is that great of an X's and O's coach, mm-hmm. but he's a good motivator. He knows how to get teams to blend together because he's done it so many times. So I mm-hmm. have optimism about that. Yeah, I think you, you you hit it right on the head with me. Like the, the two returning guys also, they're not only just good veteran experience to have on a roster of youth, they, I think, fit pretty clear roles on this roster. And I think that's really valuable too. You see, you know, Reeves obviously had that role last year and, and you look at Calipari's track record of transfers and it's, it's not always great. Reeves was a solid addition. CJ Frederick never really panned out. Uh, Severe Wheeler was a, was a really polarizing player in his years uh, at Kentucky, but, but Reeves is one that seemed to really work. And so it's so valuable to get him back. And you look at Trey Mitchell and you look at the skill set that he possesses and you look at kind of what was missing from Kentucky's roster. And to me, like having one guard and a wing player and then having a, a bigger player like Mitchell kind of in the mix. So, you know, you have that veteran presence at both spots just feels really valuable. And I think, uh, you know, I, I, they're going to absolutely need it. And I think that kind of leads into the next question I wanted to ask you. And, and you touched on it a little bit already, Leaf, is can you win with a team so freshman dominant? And and historically, the answer is, is yes, Kentucky's done it. Uh, but in today's college basketball, you're not going up against guys who are maximum 22. You're often facing 24-year-olds. Sometimes you're facing 25-year-olds. And the SEC has some really old players uh, in, the, in the league. And, and obviously, this will change when the COVID year runs out and the transfer portal will probably kind of die down in time. But at this particular moment in college basketball, it feels like really young teams, especially when the class, the high school classes are not great right now, in part because of COVID as well. It feels like a really risky time to build your team around freshmen. Calipari's got some of the best freshmen in the entire country, the overwhelming top class. But do you think that that's kind of the, the way to build a roster right now? Or, or do you think that some more veteran help uh, is maybe the, the better avenue to go to build a roster at this point? I think for most teams, it is better to build through the transfer portal for those additions than the freshman mm-hmm. uh, recruiting classes. However, Calipari's built such a brand mm-hmm. that it's it's impossible to just like reorganize and say, well, you know what? Our, our whole pitch for Kentucky is look at the track record of what we've done in the NBA, mm-hmm. and now let's not recruit the same way. Right. So I think he's torn. If you're talking about just winning college basketball games, mm-hmm. probably safer um, to go through the transfer portal. And, and you look at Duke, the only mm-hmm. other team that really compares with Kentucky in terms of the one and done talent mm-hmm. they put in the league, they're starting. I mean, they still have talent. Don't get mm-hmm. me wrong, but they're starting to go about it more of the, the older, Hey, we're going to take guys. Yeah. That'll be a couple years. Like Kyle Filipowski, uh, mm-hmm. Tyrese Proctor are back. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. now you look at the talent they've got. Yes, they still put one and duns in the league, like Derek Lively, Derek White had left. Mm-hmm. But I but I think that more teams are going to adopt that. But I don't think Calipari has that luxury because of what his brand has been. Mm-hmm. And that, that makes a big deal, uh, mm-hmm. makes a big difference. And then one other thing I'd add is, you know, someone's got to get these top freshmen and yeah. they want to go to the NBA and, and at the fastest process. And if they're going to play college basketball, Kentucky's proven to have a track record of success. And yeah. while those are really good players and there have been some failures in that, mm-hmm. um, Calipari 
for right or wrong in terms of how they play college basketball. It seems to groom them well for the NBA. So these players probably want to win, and they they think, you know what, Kentucky's been just as good as any other team in the country for the last 15 years since this has been prevalent, so why not change? But I do think the tides are changing, and, and roster constructions uh, it is shifting a little bit. Well, and, and Kentucky is not the only team in the SEC that had a, a significant amount of, of pr- production last year from freshmen. And and one of them is Arkansas. And that's kind of what I want to talk about next, Leaf, is uh, three freshmen from Arkansas end up going one and done. They all end up in the NBA draft. And so far in summer league, they, these three guys, it's Anthony Black, it's Nick Smith Jr., it's Jordan Walsh. They've looked excellent. And I kind of want to talk about what that might mean for Arkansas, what that might mean for for their system and for these guys going forward in, uh, in the NBA. But before we get into that, though, Today's episode of the Locked On College Basketball Podcast is brought to you by FanDuel. Baseball season is in full swing, and there is no better place to get in on the MLB action than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Because right now, new customers get a no-sweat first bet of up to $1,000. That's up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet does not win. All you have to do is go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to join today. We know the MLB All-Star break just happened, but if you want to make some second-half bets on how the rest of the season might go, are the Texas Rangers going to keep it up? What's going to happen with Shohei Otani? All of that and more can be bet using a no-sweat first bet on FanDuel of up to $1,000 when you join today. Again, just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. FanDuel, an official partner of Major League Baseball. All right, folks, I want to thank all of you for making Locked On College Basketball your first listen or your first watch of the day we got fantastic stuff my co-host isaac shade closing out the week talking about the overall usage of freshmen in college basketball these days and what it might mean for the league going forward all that on friday of course we got more fantastic stuff coming your way later this month as well but for now joined here by our good friend leaf Tulin to talk about another sec team that was loaded with freshmen that is the arkansas razorbacks they had three guys get selected early in the 2023 NBA draft, one guy a little earlier than people expected in Anthony Black and one guy, Nick Smith, who prior to the season was expected to be kind of in that same range that Black ended up going top five, maybe top 10 at worst. He ended up slipping after a uh, not very good freshman year, marred with some injuries as well. Jordan Walsh, a guy who also ended up getting selected in the second round. And and the common link here besides them all being Arkansas players, Leaf, is is that they're having really good performances in summer league. And and uh, I kind of wanted to, to talk about them each individually, but also just before we get into that, like how much of, of these guys all succeeding, how much of that is Arkansas related like whether it's coaching whether it's just that summer league is is more conducive to their style of play so we're seeing them kind of be be a bit more open and free-flowing than maybe they got a chance to do with the hogs uh, is there is there a common link you think or is it just a coincidence that all three of these guys happen to be showing more offensive skills in the summer league than they did at arkansas i think for for two of the three i, I have a pretty good explanation the first one's Anthony Black. Mm-hmm. Anthony Black was the one who was hurt by the lack of spacing mm-hmm. at Arkansas the most because he had the highest usage rate. He was tasked with being the one of the better perimeter defenders in college basketball, someone mm-hmm. who was one of the better creators in college basketball, and then they asked him to score as well, yeah. and Arkansas couldn't shoot a lick. So that that's what was really difficult. Um, so now in the NBA, even though the summer league is more athleticism than shooting, uh, you're seeing the floor open up a little bit. The parameters, like the three-point line, is just a touch further away. Mm-hmm. These players command a little bit more respect shooting the basketball. And he, you know, there was a couple times where he'd come off a screen, you know, he'd, he'd, someone fight over, he'd kind of brush, 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 and all of a sudden he just had a clear coast to the rack. And you're like, mm-hmm. okay, I see why he's going to work. So 
I, I actually remember in November, I was making my first big board because, you know, for NBA big board, that's, that's part of the job. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, this is too early. <laughs> and everyone, I'm looking at a few other big boards to make sure I'm not forgetting anyone because I try mm-hmm. to make my own assessments. But I'm thinking to myself, it's like, man, Nick Smith's really high on everyone's. I, I'm mm-hmm. lower on him. Anthony Black's the better player at, at Arkansas. Mm-hmm. So I put him number five or six, and uh, he ended up number seven or eight on my board. Mm-hmm. But I, that one makes sense to me just because spacing is going to be better. As for Nick Smith, uh, the same thing matters because spacing opens up. It allows him to have more space to operate. And his isolation kind of mm-hmm. cleverness is is uh, more important. But I don't think it's as sustainable because he'll like you go to the NBA and and then you have to have this usage rate that is indicative of like, hey, you're going to be this type of player. So he's got to be a player that can can handle the ball that often to be that good. So I think mm-hmm. his is a little more difficult to sustain. The other mm-hmm. one that I think is really like makes sense is Jordan Walsh. Yeah. Jordan Walsh, what does the summer league prioritize? Athleticism, run, gun, and if you if you get mm-hmm. open shots, hit them. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the three and D to a T. Like he was mm-hmm. the ultimate three and D prospect. And I'm actually kicking myself a little bit because entering the the college season when I made my very first big board, like I was saying, mm-hmm. I had him number twenty. Mm-hmm. and uh, I moved him down to like uh, early second round by the time I was done. I just didn't think he shot it well enough. I watched him at the combine. He looked, he looked fluid in every way, but his, his shot just looked funky mm-hmm. and he's shooting it well. So I, I actually think that's, that one's real. I think uh, Anthony Black's real. I think Nick Smith's could be real, but I don't know if he's going to have a role that mm-hmm. allows him to facilitate in the NBA the way that he's been given the reins to do so in, in Charlotte. Yeah, and I, I want to focus on Nick Smith a little bit more because historically there's a group of players who fit into the mold of being, you know, before the college basketball season being projected top five, top three at times. I mean, Nick Smith was legitimately that high uh, in October, November before the season started, who don't perform well in college, still end up being one and done guys, but slip into the the late first like Smith did. There's a group of players that fit into that archetype. And if we're being honest, Leaf, most of them don't pan out. In the NBA, it's it's pretty rare for a player who who falls that far in the draft process in year one to really turn around and be a solid NBA player. It's not that it's impossible. And I mean, I watched highlights of what Nick Smith did. Uh, I guess it would have been Tuesday night um, in against the Blazers. And, and he looked I mean, he looked amazing. Spin moves, uh, all sorts of really crafty ways of getting to the bucket. Good, good shooting like he looked. He looked great. But like you said, he had the ball in his hands a bunch. They've just let him kind of r- take the reins and run. That's, that's not going to happen uh, in the NBA. That's, that's not going to happen with, with Charlotte this year, certainly in the NBA. So for me, it's like, how does he adjust to a smaller role? Is he like a, a microwave guy off the bench where you bring him in and you immediately just get him the ball and let him go to work? Because honestly, he might do well in that role, like a, like a Jamal Crawford light almost of just like, Hey, when you're in, you're, you're, you're our guy, but we're not asking you to, to be an off-ball player. Maybe he can thrive in that situation, but I, I just I, I struggle to see exactly where it's all, how it's all going to fit together because I don't think he gets to and, – and we'll have a similar conversation later in the show about another player who is very good when they have the ball in their hands, but you have to be able to adjust in the NBA. And, and, and you talk about somebody like Jordan Walsh who was drafted, I think, nine spots later than Nick Smith is was wildly considered a, a inferior prospect throughout the entire draft process. But to me, Jordan Walsh looks like he has a role in the NBA right now. I mean, I mean, he, he hit four of six at threes in his first couple of games in the summer league. And I'm like, yeah, he's not going to shoot 66% obviously, but if he shoots 35 
he's a role player right now. If he shoots 38, he's a really good role player right now. And so I see a path for him because of that athleticism, because of that defense, because he does things that doesn't require him to be a lead guard or a lead on-ball person. Uh, to me, that feels like a clearer path to immediate playing time, whereas Nick Smith, I see the skill, I see the talent, but I'm not sure I see the path. I'm, I'm right there with you. I, I think opportunity dictates a lot of what a prospect turns into. Like you can do all this prognosticating before the draft and you don't know where they're going to go. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, this is the situation that would best behoove someone. Mm-hmm. Well, that makes sense. But now if you look at the situation, now that you do know where Nick Smith is, I know he's getting the ball a lot in these situations, but he he's a bench guard because if you look at who they've got, they've got LaMelo ball and Brandon mm-hmm. Miller. I yeah. know Brandon Miller's tall, but effectively he's going to be their, their second on ball option. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now what is he? He's, he's at best the sixth man with the ball in his hands. They've also got a guy in Bryce McGowan's that I think could be similar in that way. Mm-hmm. So you just got to think about roster construction and opportunity and what they're going to be asked to do with that opportunity. And so I just think that limits his actual potential because unless he's a six man of the year type of ca- candidate mm-hmm. or just a microwave score, even if he's not quite at that level, mm-hmm. it, it makes his role just less, um, less projectable and less important. Yeah. Like there's, there's value in the NBA. Jordan mm-hmm. Walsh may not be a starter, especially on the Boston Celtics, mm-hmm. but his role allows him to have growth. And because Grant Williams is now in Dallas, there, there might be a possibility he gets some playing time yeah. and it may not be, you know, top eight in the road. He might be eighth in the rotation, but mm-hmm. that's a team that has aspirations to win a championship. And that's more important to me than scoring kind of an empty calorie 14, a game off a bench. Um, so- yeah. So, so you kind of talk about these three situations. They're all a little bit different in their own way, but I, I, I am curious what you think this says about Arkansas, wh- whether it says something positive about their player development. Uh, I think we, we talk a lot about college teams that run more NBA-style offenses and certainly how some players, uh, that makes their transition into the NBA a little bit more seamless. Uh, some teams don't necessarily do that, and Arkansas, a team without a lot of floor spacing, I think there was some, you mentioned it a lot with, with Black, some kind of limitations there. But do you think having these three guys all seemingly having success. I mean, it's, it's gotta be a positive thing if you're Eric Musselman and you're trying to continue to recruit uh, in the transfer portal where they had a ton of success this year. And of course in high school recruiting where they've continued to have success, like this has got to be a positive thing, even if uh, it doesn't necessarily appear like their system is helping these guys all that much. <laughs> I would say it's positive for Arkansas because mm-hmm. Musselman put three of these guys into the NBA. And I, I would add that Ricky council jr. Mm-hmm. was a two way, uh, he can't shoot at all, but my goodness, is he a sensational mm-hmm. athlete? Like I watched him, uh, I was on the court doing stats yeah. mm-hmm. and I was courtside and he went up and blocked a shot by Ochag Baji. He was trying to dunk it. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you his top of his hand was at the top of the backboard. Jeez. Um, and so his athleticism may keep him in the NBA. Like mm-hmm. he, he's alarmingly athletic. Um, and so, you know what, now you got three, and maybe four guys from one team that make it to the pros, that's never going to hurt you. Mm-hmm. I would say it's the same thing with Calipari. Calipari mm-hmm. makes me question your in-game coaching. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, if you got that much talent and you're an eight seed, uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's not particularly impressive. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, and same with Calipari this past year as a six seed. Yeah. And, and I've said this for years about Calipari. This is no, this is no new thing for right. me. But, uh, but I think it helps Arkansas. It says, look, we can develop you. We can be successful. I mean, they had back-to-back Elite Eights, and then they were a Sweet 16 team. Like, it's, it's nothing mm-hmm. nothing to scoff at, even though the team kind of underwhelmed throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say, yeah, the, the, the main takeaway is 
Arkansas, Arkansas is going to become more of one of these pathway schools where you, where yeah. you're a destination to go to the NBA. And this was the first year they tried it, and mm-hmm. it was a good success story. Mm-hmm. So I, I would say it helps him in the long run. Well, if I got two more summer league stars that I want to talk about, guys who were, of course, in college basketball last year, that is Keontae George, who you said you've talked about quite a bit recently, and Imani Bates as well with the Cleveland Cavaliers. They look really comfortable. They look very free-flowing in the summer league. We're going to talk about whether that's a product of the league itself, perhaps a sign that these guys were under uh, scout. I mean, not underscouted, I guess, but maybe underranked coming into the season. All of that coming up right after this. All right, folks, segment three here, still Andy Patton, still locked on college basketball, still joined by the great Leaf Tuline of the Locked On NBA Big Board. We've been talking about SEC teams. First two segments talked about Kentucky there to start off the show, talked about Arkansas and their three stud freshmen who are killing it in the NBA Summer League right now. But now we got two more guys I want to talk about here to close out the show. Keontae George with the Utah Jazz and Imani Bates with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Keontae George fell to 16 in the NBA draft. Bates went, I believe, 49th. Uh, mid-second round, late-second round for him. Uh, And both these guys are putting up really good numbers so far in the summer league, uh, outperforming where many expected them to be. Uh, We'll start with George, a guy who's put up 30-point games. I mean, he's he's looked incredible in the summer league so far. He looks like he might be a legitimate star in the making. And he was a guy who, who kind of fell on draft boards a little bit in part because of concerns about efficiency at Baylor. He wasn't a particularly efficient shooter. Of course, he was surrounded by really talented players and Adam Flagler and LJ Cryer and some concerns about his athleticism. I know that he has worked really hard to improve his athleticism, to improve his, his body, his size since the college basketball season ended. Do you think that those changes are a big part of this? Do you think that summer league is playing a big part in just his ability to kind of take over and, and command an offense? Or do you think that maybe he's just better than perhaps people thought he was coming into the draft well i've i've filled in for david Locke on locked on jazz this week and Mm -hmm. uh draft week so i have talked about keontae george Mm -hmm. a ton and so Mm -hmm. i'm just gonna reiterate what's what's gone through my brain Mm -hmm. and and i'll try to do so quickly here so the the take on draft week is the jazz really liked him Mm -hmm. because they think he's a point guard and he was forced to play the small forward Mm-hmm. So what that did was sapped athleticism. He, he was playing at a weight that wasn't conducive to the way he wants to play, which okay. is kind of like shifty. And so he wasn't able to get downhill and create uh, pressure. And so that was a lot of the question. And then the, the question became like, okay, like why is he not creating separation if he's a guard and he's playing against these bigger guys? Well, that was the reason. He also had an ankle injury and it made his shooting splits worse because he took bad shots. Uh now, so that was the appeal. It's like, can he play point guard? That's what the Jazz wanted to do. Now I'll talk about a little bit of a similar situation to what we talked about with Nick Smith. Mm-hmm. Nick Smith's game is is reliant on being smart and, and clever and creating space and having an impressive shot, uh, shot-making display. Well, Keontae George is the same thing, but I think he does it in a more, more safe way. Mm-hmm. Like, he doesn't need as many dribbles to do it. So I attended Keontae George's games that were played in Utah, and I've watched each of them since then. He's been unbelievable. There was the very first half they were playing Oklahoma City, who had the backcourt of an NBA team, which was Trey Mann and Jalen Williams from Santa Clara, who was unbelievable in that game. And it looked like Keontae George was like, man, I'm playing basketball, but I need to play point guard. And he was just torn. And then from then on, every half and just full game from then, that point, he's played basketball. And he looks the part. Um, I, I actually think... We may have talked about this at one point. Keontae George played in the global games last year, and he scored 37 and 32 points against Canada and Italy. 
and, and it was without Flagler, it was without Cryer. And I said, man, that's Jamal Murray. I remember I did a podcast for for uh, Locked On NBA Big Board, and I was filling in for Rafael Barlow. I was hosting for a week, and I, I, that's all I could think. I was like, that's Jamal Murray. So I, I put that in my scouting report. He was like, can be Jamal Murray. The, the best option for him is to play point guard at the next level. That's his swing skill. Can he play point guard? So the Jazz draft him, and are trying to groom him to be a point guard. The reason that I say Jamal Murray is because Jamal Murray is not a true point guard, but he's a 20-a-game scorer at Kentucky. If you remember back far enough, these are for some uh, like diehard college basketball fans right here. I did a podcast last night on Locked on Jazz that aired, aired today, and it, it talks about it talks about Jamal Murray was a five-star, essentially. It was from Canada. Went to the Nike Hoop Summit, was the top scorer. Keontae George, in every competition he played, was the best player in those competitions. Mm -hmm. They're both top five, top six recruits nationally. Go into college basketball, are all freshman team in their respective conferences. Jamal Murray actually scored more and was all first team SEC. And Keontae George was second team all Big 12. But they're very, very similar. And then you look at what he was in his rookie year for the Denver Nuggets, a team that was under 500, and the point guards were Emmanuel Moutier and uh, Jameer Nelson. This is not Mm -hmm. the Jameer Nelson of 09. But he only (laughs) had 10 starts and he played 20 minutes a game. So what I tried to tell Jazz fans is temper your expectations. I know he scored 59 points in two games. He's the leading scorer in the summer league. That's phenomenal. It truly is. You want your rookies to pop. Like, it's rare Mm -hmm. that a rookie pops like this. It's typical a sophomore does. That's why you see the graduate too good for summer league thing. Mm -hmm. Well, don't expect him to be a 10, 15 point a game score right away, especially when you got point guards in the midst. And I think Mm -hmm. those situations are similar where Jamal Murray – was only a 10-point-a-game guy. He's got 33% from three and 40% from the field as a rookie. Mm-hmm. And he's a tremendous shooter, and he's a career 20-a-game guy in the NBA. I think it's possible Keontae George emulates that type of career. I also mm-hmm. likened him to C.J. McCollum and Bradley Beal, who yeah. are very different. Bradley Beal was a top recruit, was mm-hmm. the third pick. C.J. McCollum went to Lehigh, set the all-time Patriot League scoring record, as I'm sure you're aware, as a Portland guy. Mm-hmm. But uh, but I likened them, and, I, and all of them had the same story. It's like, early in their careers mm-hmm. they, they had this growing pain like cj mccollum had uh 10 starts maybe or sorry mm-hmm. zero starts in his first two years yeah. in 100 games and averaged seven points per game mm-hmm. so like temper expectations but i think he's got a very very bright future so sorry for the rant on keontae george there but i but i think this is real mm-hmm. it's just it's gonna take a little bit to be real at the next level because what matters for the jazz is that he's ready to go for year three yeah. Yeah. If you're the, if you're the jazz and the, the players being tossed out around him are Bradley Beal, CJ McCollum, Jamal Murray, I think you got to feel pretty good. Even if part of that conversation is, Hey, it's, it's not going to happen right away. Cause I agree. It's probably going to take him a little bit of time, but he seems like he's in a spot where that's pretty conducive to, to him developing in time and, and learning the NBA speed because summer league is a little different than the NBA. And, and it's great that he's killing it. Like you said, but yeah, I, I think it might take him a little bit of time. Leaf, the last player that I want to talk about here is Imani Bates, uh, obviously a player who's been in the news for for years, best high school player, uh, you know, a, a guy who many expected to be a one and done top five pick that did not pan out at all. His career at Memphis kind of stalled out. He goes to Eastern Michigan, has a productive but relatively inefficient uh, season there, ends up getting drafted 49th by the Cleveland Cavaliers. And through three games in the summer league, you've kind of seen the best and the worst of Imani Bates. Uh, his first game, he went five of 18 from the field, including four of 13 from downtown. His next game, he was only one of five from three, but his next game, 21 points, seven of 11 from the field, five of eight from three. We know he has that in him. 
We know he has the ability to take over games offensively. We also know he has the ability to take 18 shots and not make very many of them. Like that's kind of who Imani Bates has been. Somewhat similar to the Keontae George conversation and frankly, the Nick Smith conversation, Bates isn't going, Cleveland's not going to let him take 18 shots a game, or at least they probably should not let him take 18 shots per game. So how do you see him potentially adjusting to being in the NBA where he's not going to be the featured player, where uh, missing your first three or four shots probably gets you pulled out of the game? Like, do you see this adjustment going well for Bates? Is it something you're kind of worried about in terms of how he's going to adjust to being an NBA player? Well, offensively, I actually think it's really good for him because mm-hmm. I did a Cavaliers podcast right before the draft, and I was like, oh, that's a little peculiar. I mean, they got one pick in mm-hmm. 49. I don't know what I can guess, like, who they're going to take. Mm-hmm. But two guys I said is, like, they need shooting desperately, so mm-hmm. I'll tell them about Seth Lundy and Amoni Bates. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, well, I don't think defensively you're getting a 3 and D, but no. this guy can shoot. <laughs> like, quite frankly, touch-wise, he's one of the best. He's one of the very best mm-hmm. in this class, and he's a very good shooter. He shoots bad shots, but the fact he can make some of them doesn't mean that once he's actually playing off the ball and catching and shooting, that he's not going to make some. I mean, you'll know this better than anyone. When Memphis played Gonzaga and he came (laughs) into that game and he knocked down a three on the right wing, Mm -hmm. my my friend and I, we were in San Diego. We were at March Madness before, but this was the the day in between where our venue was playing. Mm -hmm. We're like, oh boy, like Gonzaga could be in. My heart stopped. (laughs) Yeah. Like, because he wasn't expected to play. Yeah. Like, people don't remember this. He wasn't expected to play. He comes in and drains a three and then Mm -hmm. throws an alley oop to Duran. And and you're you're like, uh oh. Mm -hmm. Well, it's the same thing in a second unit for with Cleveland, or even if he somehow infiltrates the lineup that has all this star power, Mm -hmm. that's a really good spacer. Yeah. And and he plays without the ball. And, and, you know, a lot of that's got to do with coachability, Mm -hmm. but he can shoot the basketball. So that's, that's the overarching truth of these good performances Mm -hmm. defensively. He's got tons to work on. He's so frail. I saw him in person at the combine and you watch him warm up and he makes everything. And then Mm -hmm. he shoots kind of badly in the game because he, he feels like he forces, but Mm -hmm. it's a little different when you're playing like, Hey, like I'm with Donovan Mitchell. I'm with Darius Garland, Karis Levert, if he's in the second unit Mm -hmm. and you pass him the ball and he's going to knock down some open shots. Mm-hmm. I, I I believe in that. I just don't know how well he stays on the court with mm-hmm. his defensive inif- inabilities. Leaf, thank you so much for your expertise, your insight into this. Uh, it's always been fun to track summer league and, and track uh, kind of how these teams are going. Of course, always good to talk about Kentucky. So appreciate you taking the time and looking forward to our chat again soon. Always. Thank you. All right, that is going to wrap us up for today here on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Thank you all so much for taking the time to listen to the show. Shout out to those everyday listeners as well. If you want to become an everyday listener, just go find us on YouTube and hit that big red subscribe button. It is very much appreciated. All right, thank you all for listening. And until next time, peace out.